It's those damn jump ropes. Whack yeah, it. I mean, I was just, I was also just kind of, I was kind of over having them in the basement. This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. You're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. This is episode 96 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics and the Herpeticulture Network, Herpeticulture Magazine, all that good stuff. Um, Jake is not joining me tonight. He's taking a mental health day. But I am Joe Felon of the Herpeticulture Podcast. That's right. I will be your co-host. Felon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, how many times did I mispronounce it before we finally settled that? Did I ruin the intro? I don't know. No, you're good. This is, uh, the show is brought to you by MP Cages and Exotics, Mr. Sean Wagner. He's kind of been under the radar a little bit. He's dealing some, he's, he's dealing with some work stuff, but he's still around. Uh, and then Steve Kennedy of Steve Snakeuary, get your Venom Hot Sauce. Stuff's delicious. You're supporting him and his Snakeuary helping him do public outreach, uh, removals for people who don't want snakes on their property, and uh, just helping him take care of his collection that he uses for public outreach. So, Steve Snakeshwary, hunt him down on Facebook, get some of his Venom Hot Sauce. They're all very good. I highly recommend the Cottonmouth Sauce. It's very good. But, yes, you heard it. Joe Phelan is here once again. I want to. This is like the second or third time we've had you on? Third time, I think. Is it third? Hmm. Yeah, man, you don't remember? Come on. Man. Me- memorable times. You think about guys like like Rogan that are literally like 1,300 plus episodes deep. <laughs> and it's like people probably come up to him all the time like, man, you remember that one episode where you said this and you were talking to so-and-so? I'd probably be like, no. Oh, he doesn't even remember people who are on yeah. this podcast. <laughs> he can see them and they're strangers. <laughs> but, I mean, we're four episodes away from episode 100. I don't know what we're going to do. What should we do? What did you do for your 100th Ooh. episode? I don't know. I didn't count. Is that bad? No. I don't know. It's like a cool little milestone. It's like that's 100, 100 hours. Well, actually more than 100 hours. 100 weeks of, of shows and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a thing. So did you did you have a short list? Do you have any like any guests that you would love to have on? Do you have anyone that you would want to reach for? I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd just have Rob Stone on constantly, just so I could pick his brain and have it recorded, so everyone else can absorb it. Oh, true. You can do uh, those guys fresh mm. back from West Texas. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I guess it's it's dependent on what Jake's got going on, all that good stuff. So <clears throat> we'll have to we'll have to plan it accordingly. I don't know. Rest just... in peace. <laughs> uh. I don't know. We talked about doing. I think we had like someone at some point had mentioned some sort of like call-in thing, which I thought was weird because I was like, "What are we gonna even gonna like ask?" I figured we'd. I thought we'd just talk about sort of our favorite episodes within the the hundred, and. Oh, know. it would be pretty dope to have like yeah have say like ten guests that you really enjoyed having on or something like that, and mm-hmm. and having them call in or something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. I would not be surprised if it ended up just being like 
a normal show. Like nothing special happened. I was like, this is episode 100. Cool. Sometimes you think about these things so much and then all of a sudden time just goes by yeah. and then you're like, all right, let's run it. We're just going to yeah. have to do it. That's it's bound to happen. I mean, like tonight, last minute, it's like, okay, changing things up, doing something different. Um, but, I, I mean, I do have a loose sort of outline tonight. I We've already had you on. We've already talked about like your background and all that stuff. So I don't want to get into any of that because there's more than enough podcasts people can go find and hear that stuff. But what I'm very focused on and very interested in is like the business side of things and how you've sort of positioned yourself where you are. Because I feel like there's a lot of people that sort of want to get there. They're in sort of maybe this in-between stage where they're not really sure exactly where they want to go, what direction they want to go to, but... Um, I mean, like you you have expanded, I guess it's semi recently, into sort of dry goods and supplies and isopods and stuff. Uh, like, what was the what was the turning point for you in going into that stuff? Like, what made you go? I'm gonna start dealing with bedding and packaging and isopods and all that. Well, I think I think first, like addressing kind of the beginning part of that question is. It was, you acted like I had a plan. It's like, no, I've just been kind of following <laughs> what I naturally am interested in. Yeah. It will be like, like right now, at this very moment, I'm interested in substrates and soils, in which got me interested in plants. And I just bought like 10 different kinds of house plants. And I'm just interested in what kind of plants I can grow and what kind of soil in which will also educate me in what I could put in an enclosure, mm -hmm. which also educates me or keeping the isopods educated me on how to make substrates in which can support springtail and isopod life. So if I put them all together, I hopefully I can make the perfect substrate for bioactive enclosures, right? Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, what can I put in my bioactive enclosure for my reptile, but they don't really, it's not for your reptile. You know, we've been keeping snakes on newspaper forever. It really doesn't matter to them as long as it's not soaking wet and you're not getting scale rot. Right. It's more of how can I support the other life that's in the enclosure, the springtails, the isopods, mm -hmm. and the plants. So that's really what I'm focusing on, and I'm focusing all those in, like, separate Petri dishes. I only have really like one fully planted bioact, two fully planted bioactive vivariums, uh, which is really low compared to, you know, there's so many people doing it, but I want to do everything perfectly in a Petri dish by, on its own before I add everything in. Yeah. Um, so that's really what I'm looking at. And sorry, I kind of, I kind of destroyed your question. Um, but really, as far as like having a plan and what got me into the substrates, that's just that I was just following following what I was interested in at the moment and trying to find something that worked for me and my vivariums. I feel like with with substrates and especially sort of the bioactive stuff, people are always looking for like that secret magic ingredient that's going to make everything explode, and like they're looking for the yeah for the hack. Yeah, but I I don't think it's it's really not that. 
it's really not that secretive as far yeah. as what works as far as like you know you can just do your basic abg mix set up your dart you know you've been doing dart frogs and stuff like that but how do we do snakes how do we get plant life in which is hardy enough to stand up to some of these species that we have so mm-hmm. so that's kind of something that that i'm interested in meaning yeah people are doing bioactive vivariums yeah people are doing bioactive snake vivariums does anyone do it perfectly i don't know I don't am i doing it perfectly knows. definitely not yeah yeah i mean who's to say what <laughs> what's perfect mm-hmm. but I'm just excited to try new things and try to push husbandry forward. I mean, that's really just what I'm focused on now is just trying to make it both easier and better for the animals. Yeah. I don't know. I guess like knowing and sort of seeing the evolution of yourself in Port City and that kind of thing, like everything you've done to me always seemed very sort of, I guess, intentional or like, it was part, it was like a plan, like part of this overall, like sort of vision and plan of things. Like I'm a planner. I'm not a spontaneous person. You can ask my fiance. She will tell you like, I am a scheduler. I'm a planner. Like I am very organized with my time and stuff like that. And so, I mean, and I know there's a lot of people that, that are kind of the opposite of that. You know, they're sort of flying blind and, you know, going wherever the wind takes them. And I am like that to a degree with some of the stuff, but like, as far as like projects and what I'm keeping, it's like, okay, I don't have a hard set plan, but it's like within the next three years, this is what I want as far as chondro breeding groups. This is what I want as far as like bairds. This is like, I have a a sort of a loose goal, like a loose, there's, there's a, there's a quote unquote finish line, at least until the next segment that I aim for. I mean, you do something similar with, with what you're doing. Uh, I think I have the advantage, or most people have the advantage, in which people don't know what you do on your own free time, so you don't see all the shit I throw at the wall that doesn't stick. So <laughs> you don't you don't see the fact that I got like a hundred fossilized shark teeth last year. It was like, what could I do with these? Like dumb shit that I do on a whim, just to learn more about something I may be interested in, which may last literally a week. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's not exactly what I expected, but I'm glad I tried that out. So there are a lot of these little experiments that I like to just have fun with in which I never really publicize to anyone. Mm -hmm. But that is just like it falls into a category of fun. So I want to – I keep my focus. So say, you know, say 50% of my, my time is my day job. 40% 40% of my time is thinking about snakes and my collection and everything. And mm-hmm. the other 10% can be just experiments, fun, just following what you're interested in, even if it's super stupid. And I think, <laughs> and I think I'm lucky enough to where I finally have revenue coming in in which I can spend money on these small experiments. But I think most people who have even you know, a regular job in which you can, you can find a way to, to get like a hundred dollars a month and to start experimenting with and buy different, buy different things at the, at the garden store or something Mm -hmm. like that. Try things in your vivarium, try to grow a certain plant. Uh, There's a lot of different things you can do. Well, as far as like starting port city pet though, I mean, was that you had ball pythons originally 
and then you you eventually shifted focus into colubrids and corn snakes in particular. Um, like, how did, did did the ball pythons? I guess similar to to Palmetto Coast stuff. Like, I was in Crested for a while. Uh, event that's sort of like is what I cut my teeth on as far as the actual business side of the hobby. Um, mm. But then after a while, it was like I mean I still love Crested; they were fun. But it got to a point where I was like, I just want to go back to snakes. I need more time in my week, and Crested's, if you have a lot of them, they eat up a lot of that. And so, I mean, for you, was it, when you shifted, did that, did selling the ball pythons and stuff, did that, you put that into shifting focus? Well, a lot of the, a lot of the reason why I sold the ball pythons was because, honestly, I had, what at the time I didn't know was Nidovirus go through my collection and kill the majority of my ball python collection, and then... From there, I said, hey, if I'm going to breed snakes, I'm going to keep probably things that matter. So right after right after that happened is when I started the Louisiana Pine Snake Project. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, you know, and at that time, I was like one of the only people with the project. No one was really into it. Um, the animals were kind of hard to come by. There was only really a couple people with animals. And I was able to get a ragtag collection together. And, you know, and then I went for like the Fuscus and I went for the Olive Python. I went for these things that were a little bit rare and mm-hmm. things that really just piqued my interest. And I think with animals, I think the big thing is to not marry yourself to any of these ideas or any of the things that you're into. Because once you lose interest in something, you stop caring for something as much as the thing that you're interested in. At least right. if you're kind of like me, you know, you can, if you have too much on your plate, and you're interested in one and not necessarily on fire for the other, you're probably gonna you're gonna mess with the one that you're interested in more. And that's mm-hmm. not something that I wanna do as far as animal care. So so that's huge for me is just kind of following what you're into at the moment, even if it makes zero sense. And I think that's kind of um, what got me into the substrates, to be honest, also from a business perspective. Yeah. Is because that was there was some solid middle ground there. There was like drag goods in general, uh, I can make money year round in comparison to colubrids being very, very seasonal. Yeah. As well as I know that it's shelf stable. I don't need to worry about shipping it and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And I and it and it ties into everything that I keep. Even if you know, even though I got a bunch of gargoyle geckos, I get to use my bio straight in the gargoyle gecko tubs and see how it works for them. Yeah, you're your and own right R&D. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am lucky enough to be able to experiment with the different animals now. And uh, yeah, it's just following what's fun. And the the substrates is something that is used for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and then even the plants. I'm using the biostrate to grow uh, Monsteria or Monstera. What is it? And... Oh, I don't know. People are going to kill me. <laughs> I, I would have known it if I wasn't on the podcast, I swear. <laughs> I've said it like a million times. It's like Addy and Sonii or something. Um, yeah, some cool, like, rare plants. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so far, so good. So And then I say, hey, if I can if I can grow this um, Addy and Sonii, I think is it. I don't know. Monstera, if I can grow this in the pot with the bio straight, I put the bio straight in an enclosure. 
I put Monstera in the enclosure, I should be able to should be able to grow that. Right. So, and then and then the the biostrate also has leaf litter in it. It also has wood in it. It has these things in which uh, the isopods are going to feed off of. So, mm-hmm. so it works for the plants, works for the isopods, works for the animals. So that's kind of, and and I'm not trying to, I should probably say I'm not trying to like sell this. I'm just this is really what I meant to. <laughs> no, I mean it's that's like when I noticed you started getting into sort of that. I guess I should say dry goods in a sense. Um, you know, you I mean you went the sort of the whole route i mean you got the labels in the bags and stuff like that like how difficult was it to figure like because that's one thing that always sort of surprises me as far as like i guess with zilla it's not really something because they have a whole i'm sure department that handles that kind of stuff but like guys that decide to start their own sort of dry goods stuff like uh alex at frog daddy's a good example you know he has a ton of ton of dry goods and stuff vivarium uh supplies it's like going through and getting sort of the packaging and everything like that and then making sure you have enough of it and like making sure you're you know you're making decent money out like the margins are good like <clears throat> that kind of stuff is just when when guys like yourself who are like a smaller operation i mean how difficult is it to to do something like that yeah you got to you got to stay focused because you need to source all these different things right. so say say the biostrate for example there's at least at this current moment, there's eight different things that go into that. I need to find a wholesale source for all those eight different materials, Mm -hmm. as well as find a wholesale source for the bagging, find a wholesale source for stickers or labels. Am I going to make my own? Am I going to design my own labels? What am I going to do? I have a bag sealer. I had to buy a bag sealer. And there's just a whole different thing. There's a lot of different things that go into it. And the thing is that I didn't start with like the bags and labels and everything that I have now. I started off with just putting it in a poly bag that I bought off of uh, eBay, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then slowly over time, I just reiterated and made it better. And now it's still only to a certain point because... Say Zilla, for example, they're actually owned by a large conglomerate right. in which owns a bunch of different pet and garden stuff. So they're able to to buy those bags that are printed on. And those those are usually minimum of like 2,000, 3,000 quantity orders. Mm-hmm. So for someone like me to spend a few thousand dollars on something like that is not possible. So I need to figure out some different way to make this work and to make it different and to make it cool looking. And that is really, uh, that's also like the design of the whole product. I feel like that's why at this very moment, uh, and people may notice that I am definitely scaling down my collection, even though it kind of doesn't seem like it cause I'm kind of growing in the gecko area, yeah. but I am, <laughs> I am, I am scaling back my collection a bunch because I really want to focus on the products and making the products great. And then I would, I want to keep, I would love to keep 50 animals to the highest echelon as possible rather than breeding. And, you know, right now I have 200 babies. So like, that's not necessary. Honestly, if I did the math, the money doesn't really even make sense. (laughs) It was, it's just for fun. It's just for fun. It's what I like to do, but I can do that on a smaller level. 
and have fun with these other things that don't include the animals yeah. and are a little bit more stable and which give my life a little bit more, gives me a little bit more free time and mm-hmm. a little less worrying, to be honest. So it is a, is a, just lower maintenance as well as it just works more with my lifestyle as I'm going forward. And I believe if you asked me a year or two ago, I would have been like, work all the time, hustle, do all this stuff. Ask me now and it's work you need to have space some of the time <laughs> yeah like you need you need space or else if you work too much you actually lose that creativity at least in my case so like i need a little bit of free time and a little bit of space to have fun with different hobbies and they all tie in eventually because mm-hmm. all i because all, all i think about is is reptiles in a sense so even though i'm getting into the plant hobby I can find ways to tie that in. Yeah. So there's there's all these different things, or even when I was into finding fossils or something, there's there's that's like it's a lot of natural history, mm-hmm. which ties into animals and ties into reptiles. So all these things are connected, and you need to give yourself space to experiment so that you can have new ideas and bring new things to the market. Because if I'm just looking at reptiles all the time, if I'm just hanging out with only reptile people. Which is totally fine, by the way. But you get at the sort same of time, into a locked in a box mentally. Yeah, you're doing the yeah. same shit as everyone else. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes in order to move the hobby forward, or in order to try new things and bring new things to the table, you need to get outside of that. Yeah. So that's where I am right now, basically. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge, I guess, advocate would be the word for. You know, if you want to get to a certain spot, you want to breed a certain species, you don't have any money or, like, any sort of plan of how to get there, I'm very big on, like, find a species you do like, even if it's not that that sort of dream species, and work with that and slowly, like, take all that money you're making and roll it into the project and you just keep building. Like, I look at it like a pyramid, you know. Start with some baseline animals. As you... You know, you breed those as you sell your offspring. You roll that that money into the next level of, like, higher-end animals and, like, higher-end and higher-end and higher until you're sort of where you want to be. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty much what I did with Cresteds when I switched over. You know, I took all that mm-hmm. money and invested in... Invested, quote-unquote. It's a horrible word in this hobby. Uh, <laughs> like, put it into... Yeah, because it never turns out like that. Right. I put it into Chondros and stuff like that, and... Uh, I mean, if, yeah, it, like, if I anybody wants to get anywhere, like that's in the hobby, at least like that's where you should you just start with something. I mean, don't get something you hate. Like, I'm not going to go and get chameleons and be like, well, I'm just going to breed these until I can pay for, you know, a Bowellens or whatever. Uh, or Bolens, as James Lewis wants me to or, say. I was about to say, or Bolens, depending whatever. on uh, who you ask. Uh, you know, like Crested's I enjoyed, Gargoyles I enjoyed. It just got to a point where I had so many of them and I had, I had produced so many. that I was like, this is just too much scale it back go back to snakes you know so i just i think people should find that species that they that they do enjoy and they want to work with but it may not be the one they're aiming for right and then and it's also liable to change because the the people who honestly the people who are very business-minded who have a plan who are with this one species Mm -hmm. honestly man even the ones who are successful uh especially ball pythons you know, they get out and, like, 
whether it's they may last ten years, but they still get out, and when they get out, it's all together because yeah. they didn't have a love for reptiles in general. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have a passion for other things. They had a passion for this certain animal in a box because it was worth money, and that's not cool. But I I, I think I need to. I need to let people know that, like, when I started this, I started with just basically motivation and fresh water. I didn't have dick, right? <laughs> like, I was, I, I dropped out of college to do this. I was in the army. Like, I moved, moved like three five different times. states. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it has made no sense. And I've tried my best to make this work in every single way possible. And I have dedicated the last seven years of my life which seven years isn't that long but then again trust me it feels long when you're broke as fuck yeah and and i've kept on reiterating and flipping and turning that money into more money and right now the more money i've made the more money i've been able to put into the business i don't take money out of the business so if i was super honest with everyone this year i have spent already this year And that's how much money I put into my business this year to date from January. Mm -hmm. And I have made zero. I've taken zero money out. It's just turned into different things. And it turns into fun for me, in my opinion. And you can do that too. You just keep on sticking with it. And I never thought of it as a business, but I did think of it like, hey, I need to kind of make money because I want to spend money on right. something else. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it like it just goes back into the hobby, into the ether of whatever. It's not uh, it's I, not like anything for me to keep, but yeah. and I, that's always been sort of my goal is like if I make extra money, awesome, but I really just want it to pay for itself. Like I want to get to a point where yeah. if I see a really nice conjure for sale, like I have enough money s- set aside from stuff I've sold or produced that I can just be like, cool, I want it. You know, and just get it. I want to get to a point where yeah. it's like, you know, it's just a self-sustaining thing. Um, and I mean, that's like, that's it. I think it's one of those, if you, if you tell, if you, if you're okay with the fact of knowing that it's probably never going to be a full-time thing, like it'll, it won't be, and not that it can't be, but it's because it can. It just it's a lot more involved. But if you know that it's always just going to be sort of like a side gig, like that makes it the ride a lot smoother, I think. Yeah, and I think that once I was getting in that territory, which honestly just happened recently, I was getting in that territory of like this is a business. I was getting a little bit too many expenses. Yeah. And then when you when you have a certain amount of expenses, you need to make the money to cover your expenses, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's this stress that comes over in which I never really felt in my in my hobby because this was always just for fun. Mm-hmm. That I like, you know, that's also a factor in this refocusing, right? Because like, yeah, these these animals are my biggest monthly expense because they always need to eat. If I if I don't want to spend money on substrate, I don't have to. If I have if I have three hundred animals, those things need to eat regardless of what money I made or my motivations at the time. So mm-hmm. that's also part of it, to be honest. It's just a little bit less stress, and um, it's really it's funny because keeping reptiles, honestly, the expenses in feeding a reptile is pretty low. 
until you have hundreds of them. Right. And yeah. then it really across that threshold, in. man. It's intense. <laughs> I mean, I've only got, I think I'm in the ballpark of like 40 right now. Um, yeah. And I mean, now that I'm doing my own mice and stuff, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll put in the work to keep those going. Cause it's like, have you seen how much, mm-hmm. how big of an order you have to place just for like a year, <laughs> just with 40 snakes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So it's like, hell yeah. Yeah, like, you're lucky you have pythons, man. Yeah. Pythons heat a lot less. Yeah. But, I mean, having my own, and that's another thing where it's like, okay, I have a ton of this size. It's like, well, there's plenty of people in my area, I'm sure, that if I was like, hey, 20 bucks gets you, you know, a pack of 30 frozen fuzzies vacuum sealed. You know, mm. it's like, it's a little extra money that at least pays for the food. You know, right now it takes me, I think, an hour. Like, Sundays have been my mornings where I go and I wake up early and I go and clean mice, change out bedding, all that good stuff. And then I drive down to Georgia about an hour away because I found a place that sells the same rodent diet that P and Cody are using for their stuff. Um, and it's like 30 bucks. You for, use Missouri? For, or no, what are you using? I use FRM, the 18.5 okay. rodent pellet. <clears throat> it's like fifteen fifty a bag. And I can get 100 pounds of that for the same price that I could get for a bag of Missouri not shipped. So, like, if I got a bag, just a single 50-pound bag of Missouri shipped is, like, 60 bucks. Well, we're lucky, or I guess I'm lucky here. The farm stores actually actually carry Missouri rodent diet. Yeah, it's... I've tried to get some of the local shops here to carry this FRM stuff, and none of them are like, yeah, no, sorry. But there's yeah. a place about an hour drive down that's... That's kind of right off the, the interstate. That's pretty easy to get to, and I'll just buy like two months worth at a time. You know, right now I'm trying to gauge how much a hundred pounds will last me, and uh, sort of go from there. But I mean, that's probably a good thing that uh, a lot of beginners don't realize, or at least intermediate people even, is the fact that like look beyond the reptile sources of things and look at like farm stores buy. You know, yeah. I buy giant bales of aspen, man. Yeah, I, it's I, I so buy the much pine. Cheaper. I go to Tractor Supply and get a huge brick of pine for $10. I mean, I use it for the mice, I don't use it for the snakes, but it's still, yeah. I mean, a bag like that at any of your chain stores would probably be like 40 or 50 bucks mm-hmm. or something of the same size. It's nuts. Dude, I used to I used to use the, the pelletized mm-hmm. um, pine bedding that they use for horses. So like for a like twenty five pound bag or something, it's like two ninety nine. It's something ridiculous because for horses, right, you're gonna need a shit ton of it. Right. Uh, but for rodents, it's super effective. Um, there's probably someone out there who says that that's like not the right thing to do or something. I don't know, <laughs> but that's what I had. That's what I had seen someone who I respected do. So that that's what I used as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean the the cost of like the time it takes to clean, the cost of the food. The cost of the bedding is still, even on a, like a weekly basis, still light years cheaper than just buying in bulk, frozen. Right. So, you know, I if I could even expand it and do more, I would just to have just be able to sell locally and stuff. Because there's no one in it's my just, area selling frozen frozen mice. It's just what you're able to do with the space you have. I yeah. mean, a lot of people don't have that space outside of their house or space connected enough or mm-hmm. disconnected enough from their living space to to breed rodents and well, I trust think me even i if it's completely a, understand that yeah uh, it doesn't even have to be a huge operation i mean i've only got two racks of four tubs and i mean they're 
probably about the equivalent of a maybe a 15 quart. It's like a cat litter pan. Um, but it's about the same size as like a 15 quart, like one of the lower sort of varieties of tubs, not the talls. But um, I mean, it's just eight tubs. And then I have a grow out bin for all the, the hoppers and stuff until they hit adult size. And I'm like, that's like the perfect amount because it's like I'm producing mm-hmm. plenty of mice, especially the small stuff. Um, but it's also not super labor intensive. Like I said, I spend like an hour Sunday mornings just cleaning everybody. And and even now I have a system where I have like two sets of eight on those cat litter pans so I can just quick change them, like fill up new bedding in the clean ones. And then when I pull out all the old and dirty ones, just rinse those off clean them out, you know, soap them down, all that good stuff, and then let them dry out, and then they're ready for next week. So I've sort of streamlined mm-hmm. that process even more. But it's, I mean, it really isn't as uh, space um, needy, I guess, as people would think. Yeah, and I mean, it's probably kind of similar to how I used to do me. Like, I, I buy the bulk of my rodents frozen, from you know a wholesale breeder but i needed a small you know a small colony of mice just for those picky babies i needed Mm -hmm. live really fresh pinkies if you have colubrids you're gonna need pinkies that are right out of the mother sometimes yeah so that's always nice to have on hand and stuff like that so that's kind of where i was at with those and you know all that does is take a I had like a five level rack with cement tubs in them, probably pretty similar to your setup. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's a, something simple can go a long way if you're, if you're breeding quite a few snakes. Yeah. And I, I mean, I find like depending on what you're feeding them and depending on how often you're cleaning them and stuff, like the smell really isn't that big of a deal. I mean, granted mine are in sort of a, a barn slash shed at my parents' house up the mm-hmm. road because they were my dad's. But since he's getting out of things, I pretty much told him, I was like, keep those mice. I'll start to, you know, I'll take care of them. Like, I'm taking over the whole thing. Like, that's, don't get rid of them, you know, because I'll use them. Um, but the big oh, yeah. thing I, I like, too, is is knowing sort of what's going into them. Like, I know what they're being fed. I know what I'm supplementing them with. I know what I'm, you know, what I'm, what variety they're getting. And, I mean, a lot of these companies, you really kind of don't know exactly what they're getting or what they're being fed. Uh, so I don't know. I take comfort in the fact that I know like what's going into my feeders. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think that's what me, I was doing it down in the basement. My basement floor was kind of musky down there. You know, I didn't, I didn't love having them down there. So it's just like a, a bunch of reasons why I, mm-hmm. why I stopped breeding, but it, it's definitely worth it if you got the setup. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, I guess that ties, like, the time thing, though. I mean, that's one thing people talk about, you know, they don't have time to do this. And it's like, being, you're you're a Gary V guy. I'm a Gary V guy. <laughs> you have plenty of time. It's all a matter of, of how much, like, sleep, you know, you can, you can work, do work on what you want to work on late. You know, it doesn't have to be between the hours of nine and five that you can only work on things like you might have to sacrifice some sleep. You have to sacrifice some other stuff. But I think even if you're only, you know, take the magazine for instance, like there was a point in time when I was first starting that out the the original time, uh, before Billy got involved and we brought it back, uh, where like I was working for a marketing firm at the time and I would be on my computer all day and then I'd come home 
And they would be like, okay, I'm going to do this some more, but I'm going to work on this magazine. <coughs> and over time, I mean, it did get, it didn't, it never panned out the originally, just because it was one of those things where I was like, this is just too much for me to do by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think sitting on my computer all day and then coming home and having to do it more, after a while, I mean, originally I was like super pumped. I was like, I don't even care that I'm still sitting at my computer for, you know, 18 hours or whatever. Uh, See, for me, I think that that works for a certain amount of time, and then you kind of hit a breaking point. And I think everyone has a different breaking point with that. And more and more recently, I think I think that the thing is to do that for a certain period of time. Do that for three years. Do it, even if you have to, for five years. But eventually get to the time where you make enough money mm-hmm. to hire some people to give yourself some freedom so you don't go right. absolutely nuts. So that's... Uh, I think that's that's been honestly the big turning point in what I'm doing now is realizing that I can give up a little bit of control but also I can hire the right person like yeah I was scared to give up that control but I can also hire the right person to do the job yeah. even better I mean like how much if you think about it, how much can you pay someone to clean snake shit, to clean rat shit, (laughs) depending on that? It's a very small amount. Would you pay yourself that to do it? Mm -hmm. Or like, no, man, you gotta, you gotta, because while, while like Jeremy, who's, who cleans my snakes and he's fucking amazing at it. Like he, and literally yesterday he was leaving or was it, it was Wednesday. So yeah, was that yesterday? Holy shit. <laughs> um, he was, he was leaving and I was like, Hey man, like seriously, thank you so much. Like this makes my life so much better. You don't know like how much, uh, this helps me out. The fact that you come over every week and do this. And he's like, I literally look forward to doing this every single week. And I was like, yes, like that's why you're doing this right. and I'm doing this. Like, Everyone is fucking happier in this situation. I'm not cleaning snake shit and sweating my ass off. I've been doing that for seven years, you know, on a decent level. And he is, he's loving it, man. Well, it's, it's like he's getting running to play track. with all the snakes. And that's, yeah. You know, the baton, like pass, you got that guy that's, he's going to pass the baton. He's exhausted. Some other guys who's like ready is going to take it and run. Well, the thing is like, yeah, go to a, Put that logic into even if you're a construction worker. Hopefully, hopefully you're in an office. At the end of the day, like you work hard enough to where you get to the position where you make more money and you sit in an office somewhere, or else your body is mm-hmm. gonna fucking break down and you're gonna be totally fucked. And you're gonna be a 50 year old man who walks with a cane, you know, way before his time. It's like you have to eventually move to the next level. And I, I know I know there's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of snake people out there who's like, listen, I clean all my snakes and they wear it as a badge of honor and like they're they're an ex, they're a super snake whisperer because they clean snake shit. But I mean, <laughs> if it's making you miserable, man, right? Is like, really... no, man, you can pay someone to do yeah. that. I'm, like, come on, someone who would do it for free, you can pay them mm-hmm. like money to do it and honestly like the extra money that goes to this person also 
changes their life to a degree. Like, I don't know. It's all positive. Yeah. See, I don't know. Stop like, being to... such a weird control freak, and yeah. you know. And that's that's a hard thing for some people. You know, no, it's, it's, it's a hard a, thing for me. Yeah, it's a big trust like thing. That, I mean, you gotta you gotta have someone you you can trust, and you know isn't gonna like start pocketing animals and walking off with them. And then when you're like, "Hey, where'd this go?" and they're like, "Oh, I don't know, must have gone out." Yeah, I guess that's true because there's there's plenty of horror stories, right? Yeah, and I'm sure I'll yeah. get there eventually. But like in the situation I have now, it's where this person is like in the community. I think that's a big thing as far as if you're looking for help, Mm -hmm. look for something who has something in the community. Because like if they did anything wrong in your collection, you can just ruin their whole reputation. And it and that holds them accountable, meaning like they know that, you know, people in which if they did anything weird they would be out of the industry and mm-hmm. they don't want to be out of the industry because they love it. So it's like, you gotta, I guess you gotta find someone who really loves to do it. But yeah, I don't know for me. You can't I... just like, you can't just like put it in the, you can't just put an ad on Craigslist snake shit cleaner, have a <laughs> random person come for $7 an hour. No, you gotta kind of, you gotta kind of recruit someone who you know has that passion mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like cleaning days for me, I get kind of excited like the night like the day before. I don't know, it's like a winding down kind of thing. Like I'm one of those people I got to stay busy. Like I got to be doing something all the time. And I was it's weird cuz I was never like that before. But now like a day off, it's like if I have nothing to do, I'm just I'm I start getting like stir crazy. Like taking mm-hmm. time off and just hanging out and sort of just doing nothing like playing Xbox or watching TV or whatever. It's like I don't really want to do that. Like I want to find something to do and so I don't know. For me, like cleaning day and stuff, I get kind of, I get a little excited about it. I throw on my little Bluetooth headphones and just sort of disappear and get it done. And then by the time I'm done, I'm like, thank God that's over. Like now I can move on, go smoke a cigar or something. (laughs) No, I mean, it's not like I'm hands off either. You know, I'm still, I'm still feeding and then checking for feedings and stuff like that. It's just, one time a week, I'm relieved of my duties. <laughs> it's like, and it just it feels better, even though it's that. But I'm still I'm still hands on pretty much with every animal. At eventually, you know, during the week. Yeah, so. and that's something I, that's... I, sh- I shouldn't act like I don't do anything <laughs> because it's not true. <laughs> well, we told we've it's been mentioned before on other shows about how you have like these breeders with these just warehouses just full of of stuff they're breeding and ball pythons, corns, whatever. And then, you know, they produce, like, a world's first of something if it's a ball morph. And then it's like, well, did you really produce it or did your employees produce it? Because you may not have even mm. known that that was even getting paired. Like, you may have been like, yeah, we'll make that happen. But I don't know. Like, I guess to a degree, like, I would never want to be completely hands-off. Like, I would want to have yeah. some sort of involvement. I would want to be sort of in the mix, checking on stuff, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's kind of like a leadership style as far as... You know, when I was in the military, when I was a squad leader, mm-hmm. I was I was a sergeant in which when I I did my PT, don't bitch about not being able to do a certain amount of push-ups and sit-ups and two-mile run because I'll beat you in that <laughs> because I can still do the shit, right? I can still clean the snake shit. I can still do it better than you. Don't yeah. get it. And if you need me, if you need me to come prove it, I'll do it. <laughs> and I'll and I'll do most of these things with you. Like when Jeremy's over, I'm doing shit too. I'm not, yeah. you know. But um 
Yeah, that's kind of a leadership style. You got to lead from the front. If I don't ask anyone to do anything in which I'm not willing to do myself, and that's something in which you need to every once in a while. You got to bring yourself down and and do the shit that needs mm-hmm. to be done. And yeah, as a big part of it is just sort of not taking yourself too seriously. You know, because it's like, right. once again, I remind myself all the time. It's like, we're all just keeping snakes in boxes. You know? It's, yeah, that's... Uh, that's it. Yeah, and it, and it can be tough because it's like sometimes, I think a big a big part of what's going on now or what I'm doing now is kind of getting out of... I had to get out of a little bit of the, the culture of everything for a second. yeah. Because I feel like everyone's just, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different personalities involved in this and we're all fucking nuts, right? We're all nuts in our own way. And I'm realizing that like, I am, I'm not, honestly, man, I'm not the most social person. So like, I don't know, I don't need to be socializing all the time. Mm-hmm. I probably say the wrong shit sometimes. I probably rub people the wrong way. I just because like I don't know. I'm not the best at talking to people. And it's just like, okay, I'm just gonna focus on what I have going on here, you know? And that's all you gotta focus yeah, on really. And that's it's there's been sort of a shift, I guess, culture wise where social media has kinda turned things into more or less like a popularity contest and I feel like it's it's not hard to sort of drift away from like hey we're all here for the same reasons because we enjoy what we're doing and it it gets it gets kind of away from that very quick and it turns into you know like i said sort of the popularity contest and there's um i don't know like none of it matters right, man right. none of it matters like what at you're all. doing with your animals has absolutely no bearing on what i'm doing with mine and guess what? There's people that you don't know who are ten times better than you. Yeah. Like, there's always a bigger fish. There's people in which, yeah, and there's people just because they're not known on Facebook and I am does not mean that I'm better than them. It's not even close. There's so many people that are better and that are that just happen to not have social media presence mm-hmm. or something like that. And it, there's, there's a to me there's a very fine line. But like it's okay to be proud of of what you produce and proud of like your collection and like the stuff you're doing. But it's it's also very easy to sort of twist that into a way that you you come off just as a complete douchebag. Right. You know. Like, yeah, and that's it's very hard because that is also kind of marketing, right? You have to show off what you have. You need to kind of brag about it in a way to get people excited about it. It's hard to know what's what. I think I think just the line that I try to toe is just try not as much to put down other people's shit. Mm-hmm. Just kind of let the animals do the talking for you. Exactly. Yeah, and just say this is what I have. Mm-hmm. Everyone else doing stuff is great as well. Because that's the truth. Like, everyone else, there's really not too many people, and you used to hear this all the time. Go back and listen to, like, the reptile radios and shit like that. Like, back in that in that era, the whole, like, people doing it for the money. I don't see that a lot anymore. I don't really, like, 
there's not many people just doing it for the money who are actually in it long term. Everyone's in it because they like what they're doing or they're passionate about their projects and different things like that. Yeah. And there's no need really to, to shit on that because they're doing their best and they're doing what they're interested in and that's cool. The way I look at that is like, I mean, you can, if you want to have that mentality about things, have fun. But I know that when I hatch out things, you know, like when I've been raising condos for five years that I've been planning to breed and I finally get eggs from them and babies, that, that victory, you know, personal victory is going to be a lot more rewarding for me than it probably would be for you in those similar circumstances. Where it's like, there's not really, yeah, the lights are on, but no one's home sort of mentality of, of like the money and you know there's not a whole lot of enjoyment behind the animals they're just doing it because oh i can get paid and i would agree that it's i don't think it's nearly as prevalent as maybe it used to be but i still think there's always going to be a percentage and it's there's always going to be sort of a a uh, a group almost like a graduating class every so often of like here's the people that that really have no interest in the animals but you know they breed them because it's it's a money thing and i mean whatever if that's the way you want to do it that's fine like that's your Trust prerogative me, man they sort themselves out yeah. they really do it's... and it's go ahead yeah i think uh i don't know you just uh, try to try to surround your people yourself with people who are really really into it and and then also i think i think we as like the we're kind of in our own corner of like rare snake people, kind of snake snobbish people. We also need to not turn our nose away at everything that may have a hint of like business to it. Cause we can do that, but there's still some people out there that really, really love snakes who mm -hmm. happen to have ball pythons too. So, yeah, I don't know. Like ball pythons are just an easy target, you know? Like, I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't hate ball fun, pythons. Yeah. I don't hate ball python people. Like, it's just, they're an easy target. It's fun to throw jabs. I mean, they can say the same thing. Like, I hear jokes about Condro guys all the time. And I'm like, you know, I completely agree with most of them, honestly. A lot of those oh, guys. want to talk about people who shit don't stink. Dude. Condro oh, facts. my God. <laughs> I can't wait until you start calling your baby's designer and shit. Just because oh. you mix them together. It's It sucks, man. Like. You guys are silly gooses. It's there's a very large chunk of that community. Just they suck the fun out of it entirely. <laughs> and I mean, to a degree, like I do look at sort of chondros and like basin emeralds as like almost like the thoroughbreds of like the reptile world because that's sort of always how I've sort of seen them in a sense. Like people don't remember certain animals when you, by their name when you hold your yeah, you know. Like, when you can go back and say, oh, yeah, this has Mr. Blue in it, it's like, like, you remember that. Like, there's a certain sort of, I don't know how to describe it, like, novelty to it, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, that doesn't mean that you can go around and acting like you're just the king shit of Fuck Mountain. So, when you feed your chondros, do you do it pinky out or what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I wear my, I wear my, uh, tuxedo. You wear, like, a derby outfit? Yeah. <laughs> eat caviar drink some high-end <laughs> champagne ah fancy feed them rats that are dipped in gold Ooh, it's it's like those buffalo wings you ever see those <laughs> that have that golden sauce on them like Ooh. 
I poured Goldschlager in their uh, water bowls because it has a little flakes in it. Yeah, it's that's another one. It's like, yeah, chondros are the easy to breed. I mean, yeah, they're easy to get eggs out of, but I mean, is it is it you're not? It's not exactly. No, you're not going easy to the moon. in comparison. Yeah, it's not exactly brain surgery. You know, it's like you're breeding snakes. You're keeping snakes in a box. No, buddy. snakes are. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Like they just happen to be very pretty, very that. expensive snakes. People are like, people are like, what about bowlins and stuff? I, when I say that, I'm being extremely fucking general. I'm not being literal <laughs> about no snakes are hard. It's just that, like, even if you bred bowlins pythons, ninety nine point five percent of the world does not give one shit. Yeah. Yeah. So bring yourself down and be like, okay, man. Let's have a little fun and stop fucking bickering <laughs> with each other about about you know what's designer, what's not, what's from this line, what's worth what. I yeah. mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean that does that is sort of one thing about ball pythons that sort of kills me is like it seems, and I don't like just like Eric Burke says all the time. Like I don't like to paint with a broad brush. I don't like to generalize. I don't like to speak in right. absolutes, but you know there's people out there that it's like that's not even a living thing that's just like it's whatever the genetics are on the paper like that's the way they look at it like forget the fact it's that it's easy living when it doesn't thing. move yeah yeah it's like that's still an animal that requires you to take care of it yeah you know but, and then you got to think about what happens to your babies afterwards what happens to your breeders afterwards i mean there's what is the outcome of every single animal that you produce mm-hmm. Did you ever have that that point where you were like, you put a bunch of stuff together, you got a ton of babies, and you're like, oh, this will be fine. And then you get a ton of babies, and you're like, this was a really bad idea. I should not have produced this many. <laughs> yeah, man. Because <laughs> I had that. and I'm, Last I am, year, this year. <laughs> I am convinced that that is a lesson people can tell you over and over again. But you're not. But you gotta experience it. If you once you experience it, it all makes sense. You can have (laughs) like guys that have been in it for thirty years be like, "Yeah, don't pair everything, man. You're gonna regret it." And you're like, "No, I won't. It'll be fine." I did that with Cresteds. I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna pair every female. It'll be fine." And then like I'm like sixty babies deep at least, and I was like, "This was such a bad idea." Yeah, at the end of the day, you're like, "What does it matter? This is the same animal, and it's." just a little bit different coloration and stuff like that. It's really, yeah. Then you, you got to find homes for these and Mm -hmm. then, then you got to feed. Luckily. Yeah. It's like, luckily for me and probably for you as well, we have some, we have some sources in which we can sell these animals and Mm -hmm. we're able to, to do the right thing. But at the same time, like, I wouldn't want to get desperate about it by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. So, so why kind of put yourself up against that wall? And I know that I mean, there's plenty of people that can enterprise it and make it make it into a business, right? In which, when it gets too much, just hire someone and mm-hmm. do more, do more, do more. But I mean, eventually the level of care goes down, and for a lot of people listening, I mean, that's where you draw the line, right? Yeah. It has, it has nothing to do with business or money or anything like that. Like, 
it's the animals. You get away from the very reason why you started doing it, and that takes away all the fun. And then it's mm-hmm. yeah, then it's kind of a a downer. So that's why you gotta yeah. When you when you see that happening, you gotta adjust to it and and make your move. Whether that's getting out, whether that's you know hiring one person to help you out, and then you staying at a similar level, but it's manageable now. I mean, that's also a thing. I don't want to say like you hit that wall and then that's it. You know, you gotta you gotta hang it up and kind of downsize and it's do whatever. Knowing no, your I'm limits. Sure you, I'm sure you could pivot. Yeah. It's knowing yourself and knowing your limits and what you're wi- like, how much you're willing to to put in and how much time you're willing to put in and like knowing the you know the whole self awareness thing is a very very important factor in all of it. I think you know, especially if you're doing it as like a business, you know, quote unquote business. Um, because for a lot of people, it, you know, it'll just be a side thing. Um, right. Yeah, I have found out that I do not need many things holding me down because I am, I go everywhere and I like to do different things. Mm-hmm. I do not need, you know, a certain amount of mouths depending on me to feed yeah. all the time, you know? Well, the problem for I me need a certain with, amount of freedom. Yeah. The problem for me with the Crested was like, I'd have these pairs and I'm like, I, I, I got to see what comes out of these two. Like, I got to see what these produce. And so I was like, I'll pair them. And then yes, I, like, well, I had that for a bit. Yeah, yeah, and then it was like I had a pairing that I was like, I had planned to pair them for at least, like, probably a year. Where I was like, okay, next season's going to be the season. And then that season rolls around. It's like, well, I got this awesome male. Man, he'd go really go he'd go he'd really well with that female. I'm going to pair him to her, too. And I was like, but then I got this other pair that should be ready. I've got to see what, what those produce. And then that's how you end up with a ton of babies. Which, I mean, I if think, you're, if you're think, willing to deal with all that, that's fine. Go nuts. But it's like... I think what got me over doing that is the fact that I have done that with a few different projects. Mm-hmm. And then, like, no one gave a shit. And, like, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was pretty, I was pretty happy with just seeing it for myself, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you kind of want people to give a shit. Even if you say that you're doing it just for yourself, as much as I mm-hmm. believed that to my core, at the same time, you kind of, if you're breeding snakes for the look of them, you kind of want someone else to say, you want that, you want that, uh, ooh, what would you call it? Basically just that agreeance from the group that, hey, that's cool, man. Yeah. Then you're like, hell yeah, it is. The, the Thanks. <laughs> validation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You want yeah. that that group validation, like you want the validation from your peers or something like that. And quite frankly, not too many people care. You may hit that one animal in which people care or something mm-hmm. like that, but it doesn't it doesn't happen very often, right? So it's like, I think a lot of times we don't realize that we're kind of trying to glory chase for no reason. Yeah. I reckon. Uh, the Cresteds, it was always, like, my thing with when I was breeding Cresteds was I always, like, taking things from the opposite ends of the spectrum and putting them together. Like, I'd take a, my first pairing was, like, this just concrete gray male who's really cool looking. I don't think I've seen anything like him since, actually. And then I had this red female, and I was like, I'm going to put these together and see what comes out. Just because I just, I, it was, you know, I'd have killer pairings. I had some really nice geckos, and I'd pair them, and I'd be like, there's no way these won't produce some awesome looking stuff. And it wasn't like you were saying, you know, it wasn't to to show them on Instagram and be like, check this out. Cause like you said, nobody cares. And I knew that, but it was like, these, <laughs> these are going to produce some really nice geckos. Like I can feel it in my bones. 
you know, they're nice animals with, with nice lineage. And it was like, I want to produce some. Feel it in my loins. That's right. You know, I, I can feel it in my plums. <laughs> the Eastbound and Down reference for anybody. I got you. I got you. Best show of all time. But uh, Oh, yeah, just, you know, you know, my last guest was actually on Eastbound and Down. Yeah, you know, I watched like the first, I think I caught the first like 45 <laughs> minutes of that. And I remember you hear, yeah, hearing he was, that in the intro, and I was, like, super stoked. I was like, yes. Yeah, I know, because that was, like, honestly, there there's so many other credits that were traditionally <laughs> more impressive. But I was like, oh, You got to hang out with Kenny, Kenny Powers? Powers? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm not even kidding. I want to get a Kenny Powers tattoo so bad. I want to get the 55 number with Powers over the top, like, at the back of his jersey. And Katie thinks it's, like, the worst idea of all time. I was like, you have no idea. My He's buddy like, Vinny my has, like, guy. a vintage... He has a vintage 1980s jet ski that's purple, <laughs> and he's like he and he has a mullet, and he's like he he uh, Kenny powers it. That's awesome. It's excellent. That's awesome. But I was I was so like yeah yeah that was that's such a great credit to have. <laughs> I'm trying but, to uh, think of what what animals they would have even had. I'm trying to like I know they there was one I, episode where he had a ball python in a fridge when he was in Mexico. It was like a spider pastel or something <laughs> like that. And then I don't know. I can't really think of anything. Oh, the bumblebee! Damn it! Spider oh pastel. yeah 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 yeah. I don't know, dude. I know what pastels and Mojaves <laughs> are and highways. I just wanted to show off, man. That's about it. My favorite ball python morph is a, is your plain run of the mill Mojave. Oh, that's a fun choice. One of one of my favorites when I had it was just a lesser. I don't even know what that looks like. It looks like a Mojave, just cooler. That's something. It's like f- more sandy colored. Yeah, that's something I find funny about so- <laughs> the hobby too. Is like the hobby is small, but there's totally like circles and camps that don't intermingle, like at all. Like you don't see. I guess I mean there are there's some crossover like Bill Stiegel, he's a ball python and chondro guy, but. I rarely see him post anything about ball pythons, but I'm sure when he's posting with ball python stuff, you rarely see any of his conjure stuff. It's Drama. Just weird man. how there's just these camps, man. There's a there's a lot more there's a lot more at stake, uh, money wise. So there's a lot more drama. So there's a lot more factions of people who like this guy, don't like this guy. There's just more competition involved. For us, like there's less competition because we're all like, we're all just whatever, man. Yeah. Here's a IJ two hundred dollars, please. <laughs> it's just it's not the same. I don't know. I could even leaving the the Condro groups. I feel like a douchebag because I say this all the time. Like I left Facebook groups. It's been awesome though. I like I left MVF. I left all the con. I'm in like one random conjure group, and I don't even know why I'm even in that one because I don't pay attention to it. But it vastly made my experience with conjures better because it's like with groups and stuff, you see all the stuff people's doing. I guess social media in general, they're like you see all this stuff and you have you feel this weird need, be it conscious or subconscious, to like keep up. You know, it's like this guy got this awesome designer line thing. Like within the next year or two, I got to get into that stuff too. Like everyone's doing it, you know. And getting out of the groups, it's like I'm actually content with my group that I have. My my condros, like I'll be producing some cool stuff in the next like three years. Knock on wood. What I what I like about uh, there's something weird about 
especially chondros in particular, is that you see a new animal and you're like, oh, like the the bar has been raised. Mm-hmm. But then again, like if you were to ask someone who there's a guy who works at a pet shop down here, he used to work for Trooper Walsh. Yeah, and it's like these. Honestly, man, these animals have been around in these different phases for quite a while. There's probably not much that hasn't been produced mm-hmm. with that phenotype. You know, there's probably not many new phenotypes, but it seems like all the time the bar is being raised. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's not much that, you know, all the most of the ingredients have been put together. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I the conjure thing for me is just neat because every single one is different. You know, you can have pastel yeah, ball pythons the thing, and they yeah. all look pretty much the same. But you can have a clutch of green tree pythons and you'll have stuff that just in in like a spectrum. You know, you'll have high yellow stuff that's, depending on what the thing is. Like everyone's unique. Like every single one's different in its own way. But that's also what kind of makes it bullshit at the same exact time is because you're you're buying an animal based on the parents in which we're kind of like a one-off like you hit it out of the park type of situation and then you get this green baby who just happens to have this lineage in which you hope to hybridize it with another baby oops did i say hybridize i meant designers fucking put it together (laughs) with something else and uh and fucking create something blue or something i mean it's just I don't know. people are gonna be like you're so fucking ignorant <laughs> i'm sure i am but it's i don't like to like i don't know but that's that's it's, the thing like you don't silly. know what you're gonna get that's the awesome part about it yeah you get something green most of the time unless you make hybrids and then you get something blue and black i will say that part of like the I'm making shit up. <laughs> no, like that part of the chondro sort of hobby. Like I do like the fact that people. It's not like carpets where they're like, if it's not pure, I don't want it. Like I want, I want paperwork that says it's pure and goes back to you know however many years. Like chondro guys are like, yeah, dude. And like, oh, we've been breeding hybrids. Yeah, we kind of figured we have been since like day one. No one. Can we no rewind to like two minutes ago when I said don't shit on <laughs> other people's project? <laughs> I think, I'm not talking about anyone specific. I'm just <laughs> no. I just I like I like the fact that you if you, like we're knowingly doing hybrids. I guess depending on which side of the taxonomic fence you sit on. Uh, you mean and, the one with science? Yeah, which and is like, probably correct. No one cares. It's like whatever, man. Everyone like ugly chondros because it's convenient for them, though. I but think... that's not. It's not because it's some <laughs> like nice thing. It's not because they're good guys. No, it's because it's, con- it's convenient for them. That's how they make designers. If if the, I don't know. if ugly chondros did exist, <laughs> I think it would be vastly different. But because every single one of them is gorgeous, even the ones that are like sort of your average, they do. Pet- they're black. There's those black and brown ones that you guys love. Which black and brown ones? Those are the ugliest ones. The ones with the like they're super maroon and what? black. Get out green, of here. Green is nicer, man. They're all awesome. An ugly one it's doesn't just... exist. <laughs> no, that's true. They are if, all amazing. If ugly ones did exist, like if you had some in a, in a, in a clutch that were like, yeah, this one's not going to be looking that great. Like people, I feel like there would be a lot more restraint and a lot more focus. But I'm with you. As you know what's as... also... Go ahead. Like what's also really nice is a Carpondro. I mean, and, hey, whatever. They're cool looking. I can appreciate them for what they are. 
Essendon's like they look amazing, like a jungle to a green tree yeah. makes amazing looking babies. They're cool looking. Billy does them. I mean, they're neat. I've seen them in person. They're awesome. You know, it's not something they're I'm fucking gonna, awesome. It's not something I'm going to go out of my way to do, but I appreciate them for what they are. Yeah, and that's something I can respect. A very true hybrid. It is what it is. Yeah. Here you go. I mean, even the really off the wall ones, like the you know the carpet balls and stuff like that, or whatever they're called now. It's like, yeah, okay, that's that's neat. It's like, I don't know why you'd personally, I don't know why you take the time to do that. But I mean, if that's what you're into, if you're into that, that <laughs> Frankensteining of things, like sure, go for it, man, go crazy. <laughs> I miss, uh, I don't think there's any of that in carpets anymore. I used to, I remember seeing, I think it was, was it Ed Lilly? Is that the guy who used to do like, it would be like 25% IJ, server, how much coastal, jungle, um, like basically every carpet put together. Yeah. And then albino on top of it. <laughs> and they would be like, they'd be like pink and yellow, dude. <laughs> they'd, be like, they'd be nuts looking. Yeah, that that probably drove purists just absolutely batty. Uh, I feel like that section of the hobby has become largely purist in comparison to it to what it used to be. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of came to their senses of like, okay, we only have so much of this. It's only getting harder and harder to find. I should probably keep these like as pure as possible. Here I am with my 2011 high percentage diamond jungle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one wants it anymore. Well, I mean, it's... stuff like inlands and, I mean, you've seen, personally, I know people apparently don't agree with me on this, but I feel like the jungle craze has has not completely disappeared, but things have definitely changed in that realm and jungles aren't getting the spotlight nearly as much as they used to. And so like inlands and I guess like some of the really high end jungle lines, like those aren't getting as much focus. And so they kind of, that's the kind of stuff that we're, that we're in trouble of sort of like losing and it falling by the wayside. Well, I think that we lost a very important breeder in that space as far as their collection and through different means of what's going on in the carpet world, uh, we had lost a lineage that was pretty important to, to what's going on, and they're not producing anymore, I don't believe. Which one is that? Um, Headhunter, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say anything about it, but I mean, as far as, like, not you're not seeing those amazing top of the line, like yeah. as good as it gets. Plus, plus we saw, we found the genetic potential of the jungle, right? Mm -hmm. We pretty much got there. Yeah. Burke did, it was did those talk animals. about that and I agree. Like they did kind of hit their peak and then everyone was like, okay, we're all done here. Time to move on. You can't get more yellow. You can't get more <laughs> black. What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it, like, I mean, good example too, like Will Leary, you know, he got out. Condro wise, like Greg Maxwell, he got out. He doesn't do condors anymore, but he was a very big part in sort of all the designer stuff that we have now. Somewhere down right. the line, you know. But that kind of stuff matters. I mean, people, life happens. People have to get out for different reasons, or they're just they're done with it and they're moving on. You know, whatever. But it's just 
we get so hyper focused on some things, you know, and it goes through phases like we've seen with, you know, Mexican black kings and stuff like that. Um, it's just a matter of like, will that sort of, uh, will the trend sort of circle back around before we hit like next to no one has them now? Like Savus are a good example. You used to be able to get Savus no problem. Now it's like good luck finding one for sale. And it's because that right. trend didn't circle back around for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, that especially happens in what's not the very mainstream pet animals, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that happens on, like, the things that are on the fringe. Yeah. I mean, those pet tubers make things fucking happen. I mean, there's different people in every in every era that that kind of affect the industry. So it's like... I'm putting beards on the you map. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are in comparison to what there was before, which is almost nothing. There was, you know, just older colubrid guys. I remember when I first got into colubrids, and we're not talking a long time ago. We're talking seven, eight years ago. It's like the colubrid guys were like these old washed-up dudes who (laughs) definitely did not have Facebook. Like, these were all older guys who were keeping it going, but just because they loved what they were doing. And, you know, it wasn't popular by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. And now you see so many people keeping colubrids, it just kind of came back around again. Yeah. It's the carousel. The herpeticulture carousel. That's true. And you see that. And the more you stick around also, you see that a lot of these breeders and stuff like that, the people who are either long-term hobbyists who, you know, they follow the trends or business people who follow the trends and things come and go. Yeah. And then we all And that's why I think that, like, we all act like it's the end-all be-all when something becomes popular, but it's it's not, man. It just it goes away. And we all sound like a bunch of crotchety old old guys that are like, remember when you're going to get Mexican Black Kings for next to nothing? Yeah, how many times Five have we years said ago? that? Last, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back in my day, you could get scrubs yeah, I mean, for a nickel. <laughs> yeah, things just, they come and go. And uh, And what is also shitty is that when things get too popular, we complain. Yeah. When it's not popular, we complain. It used to be cool. When it's if, yeah, like, why are we some weird snobby hipsters about it? <laughs> like when when you when what you work with gets popular. I've been working with Colubers and they're popular now, and I love that. That's fucking amazing. That's when you laugh and I'm, say, "Okay, you can hate on it all you want. I'll be laughing as I continue to sell them and actually make money on what I have." No, <laughs> you can hate on them all I you mean, want. Yeah, I'll be laughing all the way to the bank. I paid a nickel for them. I mean, it's just it's it's kind of funny, but I was in the right place at the right time, just like accidentally, right? Not even on purpose. Here's a question that you would be able to chime in on that I just thought of, because when I was breeding Cresteds. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, the market's so saturated on them right now. There's no market for Cresteds. I had zero issues selling Crested Gegas. I had no problems moving those things. 
Do you find that to be the case? You have you you hear people say that with corns and stuff. They're like, "Oh, the market's super saturated. I don't bother with those anymore." The thing is that I've carved out a path in corns, so I don't have that issue. Mm-hmm. And that that sounds douchey, but but say say no, I mean, in it makes geckos, sense. You've been focused on them. Like that's been your that's been your your thing. But in geckos, I'm having real trouble selling garbs. I mean, like, because I just popped up and no one gives a shit, like, of who I am, you know? So it's, yeah, I see that if I was a newcomer, that would be the case. So if I'm a newcomer, I'm a newcomer right now in gargoyle geckos, and I cannot sell any of them. <laughs> like, I just, I found I it funny. I can't sell dick. People were like, yeah, that crusted, crusted market's so saturated. I'm like, for I you. I was like, it ain't that saturated. They're, they're selling for me just fine. And guess what? If you produce if you produce five thousand of them, you can wholesale them all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really wanted to, someone can buy. Someone will buy them regardless. Yeah. So I, there is no such thing as saturated. I think. I think. Well, there is such thing as saturated, but I think that when we call something saturated, we're calling it. You know, I put it on Morph Market and it's not selling in a month. Yeah. <laughs> when really you could you could. You could sell that thing tomorrow if you wanted to wholesale it. I mean, there's you're not you're talking about a limited market. Mm-hmm. Open up your market, and all of a sudden you can sell that animal. You sell it to your local pet store. You know, you can sell that crested gecko for twenty five bucks to your local pet store. Yeah. Instead, instead you put it on Morph Market. You call it, you know, a pinstripe, and you try to sell it for seventy five. You're gonna have a little bit more problem but it is harder to sell something that's 75 dollars than 25 dollars. that's just the way it goes well i think there is sort of a caveat to that too because if you're just getting two like craigslist cresteds that frankly don't look good like they're just sort of your baby turd brown there's really nothing going (laughs) for them i mean there are cool lizards regardless it's just not eye candy you breed two of those together you're going to produce more baby turd colored Cresteds, and then you're gonna be like, no one wants to buy them. And it's like, okay, well, if you're selling those at higher end prices, people who want something as a pet that would buy that aren't going to because it's too expensive. And then people that are breeders looking for interesting stuff to include in their breeding groups aren't gonna buy it because it's not right in line with what they're looking for. Like, there is a disparity, and I always hated that, like pet quality versus breeder quality crested. Like, it exists. I hate that that's a thing because it's still a living thing, like we were talking about. Like, it's still an animal you got to take care of. It's not just a bag of jeans with legs. Um, but, I mean, there is a disparity between the two. Like, you know, if you want to sell Cresteds, put money into nice Cresteds and breed them and make more nice Cresteds. And that's apply. You can apply right. that to anything. Like, quality breeds quality. And qual- quality over quantity just become the most overused like slogan I used it at one point slogan for people yeah you, you kind of gotta know you gotta know your market who you're going for mm-hmm. as far as there are breeders hobbyist breeders in which they're gonna want the most quality of animals and that's someone and then there's wholesale wholesale pet stores pet owners that may not care but you're gonna get a lower price for them I mean that's just yeah. the way it goes I mean, even in chondros, you see it. You get people that are first-time chondros. They're not going to go and buy a you know two thousand dollar blue line animal. 
You know, they want to start out with They're something. They're going to buy and import with mites. Not even necessarily. I mean, guys like myself and, and Bill Stiegel, you know, they make an effort to, to produce condors that are, quote-unquote, like, entry level where yeah. they're not you know they're not anything super amazing genetically or like phenotypically like they're still very nice snakes but they're also not crazy expensive to where if someone wants to get into chondros they have the best chance of success with them because they're buying captive bread and they're not just going to a show and buying the 275 dollar biak that's probably going to die in a month that's kind of i wish i wish it got to the level on which you guys are producing enough to where there was a steady quantity of of pet quality like 250 dollars animals or something just to compete yeah and do the shows like you know but whoever's producing that it'd be so much work it wouldn't be worth it to mm-hmm. do all the shows and do all that stuff so I, I understand why that doesn't exist but it would be cool if it did yeah well i think it's a matter of people sort of like chondro specifically you know like making an effort to produce that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, like these aren't the most high end animals I have, but I know like there's plenty of people messaging me that want to buy chondros. You want their first experience to be a good one because they're such an awesome species. I know my first experience with chondros was an absolute train wreck. And after I lost my first one, I was like, I'm never messing with these things again. Of course that was like nine years ago. And here I am. But like, I know there's other people that had that experience like I did and they were like, I'm never keeping these again. I spent a ton of money on it and it died and it's just, they're, they're too much. They're, they're too delicate. And so it's like, if you can somehow circumvent that by offering something that, yeah, it's going to be more expensive than the import you see at the tables that shows, but it's not going to be so expensive that you can't afford it, but you're also going to get a good experience with it and you're not going to have any problems. Like that's all. I mean, that's ideal. And so, I mean, I'd love to be able to produce, like, at least once a year have a clutch of that kind of thing where it's, like, entry-level, mid-range, whatever you want to call them. Like, these are chondros that if you're looking to get into them, this is a great starting point. It's not going to cost you a ton of money, but it's a quality animal. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that I hope to see more. And in a way, in its own way, it serves the hobby. Yeah. Definitely. And I think... I think it's super cool. Like, uh, yeah, it may not be the most fruitful thing you do, but it definitely serves a hobby in the future of, of what you do. I think it's just, it's just knowing that someone's like, you're giving someone the best chance of success with a species and you're hoping that they, they get that excitement and that sort of that interest and that passion in that species where they want to carry that on. They want to do more with them. Instead of just and buying I mean, everyone, that, that train wreck of an animal that was an import that is like worm to hell, and then in a month you're like, it died. I don't know why. I can't figure out what I did wrong. Like everything was fine, and it just rolled over on me one day. Like I was so frustrated when that happened because I had just spent, I think I spent like three or four hundred dollars on the import. I think it was like three fifty maybe. And at the time I was working, I wasn't making a whole lot of money. So I had just saved up and spent all this money on this animal. And then after like a month, it was dead. And I was like, I was really pissed. I was like, what happened? I mean, I look back now and I know exactly what I did wrong. I was keeping it like a dickhead. Uh, but like that definitely put, left a bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, I don't want to do with anything with these again. And I think, I think everyone has that opportunity to harbor the next generation with whatever product you're working with. So like for me, it honestly, it may be that $25 normal yeah. on my table 
in which you know a kid gets and then make turn into something or maybe you give a snake to someone for free or something like that mm. there's there's a lot of different ways to to harbor kind of the next the next generation whatever you're doing or just you know just taking someone under your wing and trying to teach them everything that you know yeah i don't know there's i mean fortunately there's that is the nice thing about social media is is you have access to all these people that have put in the time and they don't want people to make the same mistakes they made, you know, and they're right there and you're able to communicate with them instantaneously. Yeah. You just don't know who to trust. That, that is, you do have to, I, I have found that you do have to spend a certain amount of time in whatever circle you're in and figuring out kind of who's who and getting a feel for who's on the up and up and who is right. And then there's even differing opinions upon, yeah. you know, between people who are on the up and up, which is totally fine. But I will make my final question. This. Oh, boy. If you could go back as far as the planning and execution with the business, would you have done anything differently? Like, if you completely could, like, go back and start from scratch, what's, like, one thing that you would have changed? You want to say nothing because <laughs> everything you've done has been a learning experience, whether it was losing a whole bunch of animals or going in the wrong direction. It all teaches you something. I mean, there's no failures as long as you make it a lesson, as long as you learn from it. So Agreed. honestly, you have to, you have to fuck it up. It doesn't matter. Kind of like how we were saying before, it's like, you need to experience the wall that you hit when you produce too many babies yourself. I can't tell you, hey, you know, this is going to happen. You need to feel it for yourself for it actually to stick for some reason. And that's most things in life. Pain is a master. Yeah, yeah. And I think they say that, uh, you know, the best thing is learning from other people's mistakes. But it's not always, it's not always the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Or you don't even realize that that even that mistake that you knew was going to come may even come in a different form than you were expecting it. So it's like uh, there's always going to be things that get in your way. Uh, don't think that anyone's path is easy because it never is, regardless of what it seems like on the outside. Yeah. Uh, shit happens to absolutely every one of us. And uh, you just got to keep on going, keep on doing your thing and – Find what you're what you're passionate about, even if it's not what it was before. Don't be fucking. Uh, don't feel don't feel the the social pressures to be the same person you were the year before, the year before that, the year before that. Do whatever the fuck makes you happy. You're a wise man, Joe Phelan. Not really. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot like Monopoly, man. Like, things are going to come up. Things are going to change. You're going to have to sell some stuff. You're going to have to do some things, you know? Stuff's going to die. Yeah. Like, I, my big thing is, like, trying not to be dead set on plans and things happening. Because my policy is, is announcing your plans is a good way to make God laugh. <laughs> and so I see, like, people who are coming in, they get, you know, like, Six chondros, and they're like, I'm going to be breeding in 2025. And it's like, mm, knock on wood. I mean, like, that's great. If you if you do, that's awesome. But it's also like, plan, expect something to hit the fan. It's going to happen. 
Like Monopoly. You're going to go to jail at some point. I, I call my shots now. I, uh... I don't know. I, I publicize everything. It's probably not a good thing <laughs> as far as like, you know, the gargoyle geckos, I showed those mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, the stuff that I plan. I mean, like, I don't even know what sex they are. So who knows even if I breed them, but yeah. I mean, uh, like having goals and having a plan is, is fine and all, but like yeah. saying with certainty, like, this is what's going to happen. It's like maybe like, yeah, I mean, probably, but at the same time, like a lot can go wrong. Like, Life happens. Things get in the way, you know. Oh no, I could definitely never produce gargoyle geckos ever. That's a hundred percent could happen. But the thing is, like, I'm not, I'm not connected to that. If it, if it doesn't mm-hmm. happen, it doesn't happen. Um, and then, like, if someone's like, "Remember when you said that you were gonna?" I'm like, "Okay, man, that's that. Yep, this is what happened. Yep, it didn't happen. All right, we're hope, moving on. Hope for the best, but expect the worst. Yeah." Like, look forward to goals and getting stuff done. But when something happens that slows your progress or puts, a like, a, a pause on things, like, don't be upset because, like, there's no... Oh, if you put too much into it, then you'll be too upset to keep on moving on. It's no, like you got to... Yeah. There's no rush. My policy is, like, I got the rest of my life to do this. I'm in no hurry to breed chondros. I'm, you know... If it happens, it happens. If, you know, if I have to wait another year, whatever. Same with anything else I'm doing. It's like, just enjoy it. Enjoy, sit back and enjoy the ride. You don't have any control over it overall. You know. How do you feel like the position in which I feel like we are, the age that we're at, we're kind of the same generation of uh, of reptile keeper, or yeah. you know in the industry and I don't feel like there's that many people our age doing different things. I mean, is there anyone else like our age, even younger than us that, that you kind of are looking out for or respect in a, in a way? Um, hmm. I mean, not like massively younger. I mean, Steve Cush, he does a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, he's a, he's a freaking prodigy, man. That's true. He's yeah, a, I mean, he's point. he's like ten years younger than both of us. I think, and he's doing all kinds of cool stuff. You know, uh, Lucas Masso, who I believe listens. I don't know, but he's. I mean, he's really young. He's. I think going into high school, like senior year or something like that soon. Uh, I mean, he has a lot of interest. That's in a lot wild, of stuff. man. Yeah, he's got you know he's interested in chondros and emeralds and you know he does cool cool stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't. I think like generationally, like for us, like we did it sort of before the internet. Like we were like I think we both sort of, I guess, early nineties, like late eighties kids. I don't know about you, but I didn't have the internet until like 2000. So like my entire Damn, childhood, bro, you're old. So like my entire childhood was was spent outside, like not behind a screen, <laughs> constantly like out doing stuff. And you know, yeah, it was before all the social media, like we didn't grow up with social media in in that sense, you know. So I feel like we sort of just barely made the cut of of being in that sort of that group. That's just like they were raised by it. They were raised with it. But we're also we're also a group in which we adapted social media and used it for our own purposes. Yes. And they're going to be so much better at that. 
Like we're we're doing it right now. Yeah. And they're gonna be so much better at it. It's yeah. gonna be crazy. The future is terrifying. Skynet's gonna go live. <laughs> Elon Musk's gonna create AI, even though he warned everybody about it. And then we're all just gonna be Dude, the brain enslaved shit, by machines. Man. Yeah, it's gonna happen. As long as that machine can keep uh, a vivarium, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> Re uh, <laughs> reload isopods into the tanks every every six months. It'll be fine. Yeah, and as long as he chops up carrots and sprays down <laughs> cultures, I think we'll be good, man. <laughs> Tell Jeremy he's being replaced by a Roomba. <laughs> Sounds like cheap labor. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, man. Where can people find you if they're not already fi- finding you, found you, following you? Uh, Poor City Pet Instagram, From the Ground Up Podcast, Poor City Pet, most other places, Facebook, poorcitypet.com. All that good stuff. Yeah. Cool. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. I always like picking your brain on that kind of stuff. I always like the business side of things. I'm always like, I'm always just very interested to see how like other people do it and how they like perspectives and stuff like that. Because it's not talked about often. Like, there's not a lot of practical information as far as the legitimate like you know business aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I want to, in some ways, I want to give as much as possible because I was so clueless when mm-hmm. I first started, yeah. and I'm still clueless. Like I wish, I wish Josh from like Josh's Frogs would be like completely like transparent and be like, "This <laughs> is where I am now," you know, like because that would be so helpful for me. Yeah, because you know he's like ten steps ahead of me, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I wish. I could know all of that stuff. So hopefully I could do a little bit of that, even if like it's stupid. I'm sure, I'm sure like my advice now would be totally useless for someone like, I don't know, say if Josh may see that and be like, yep, that's idiotic. He doesn't understand his business isn't big enough yet. And like, yeah, I know. Cause I want to get to that level. And, uh, Why don't you just yeah, tell man, me these things and then it game. wouldn't be the problem. <laughs> no, but there is no way to tell anyone anything. That's the thing. Everyone's problems are unique and it doesn't matter. You just got to keep on going. Like <laughs> there's no, there's no playbook to anything. Yeah. And I spent, I think I spent most of my twenties trying to read enough things and listen to enough podcasts to where I could find some playbook that existed somewhere Right. And it never exists. Nope. It never, ever exists. You just do it, and you suffer, and you live, and you just keep on going. Agreed. And that's really depressing. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I kind of look at it from the way I see life in general is everything's temporary. So, like, right. yes, good times are temporary. But that also means that bad times are temporary, too which to me sort of makes up right. for that sort of depressing fact. It's like, yeah, things suck, but they can't suck forever. Right. So I, I, that maybe it's kind of my, my nihilist or existential outlook on things, but everything's temporary. You can either make that into like a positive mentality or you can take it and make it a me- negative mentality. You know? It's all about right. how you use it, harness it. 
Yeah, I mean, energy is going one way or another. It's just how you kind of harness it, and you can use it for optimism and energy propelling you forward, or you can use it to kind of dig yourself in the dirt, and I've done both of those. So uh, trying, to, trying to harness it correctly. And, and I fall off all the time, too, you know. Yeah. But you grow from it try and move on. Trying my fucking best, man. There you go. All right, man. Are we still doing a podcast? We are. This is uh, the this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't sure if this is us just uh, bullshitting we were, the whole thing. We're it's still like, going, man. That's the, that's the thing about being on the phone. Yeah, is that sometimes I think it's just a conversation between me and you, without <laughs> realizing. Which is why, like in the middle, I started talking shit, and it's like, yeah, let's reel, reel that in a little bit. Because like I, it's you know a couple beers while we're sitting here between a couple friends, you know. That's yeah, it's all good. I, I love everyone. Didn't mean to talk shit about your chondros. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take it easy. Wait, can you like, can we talk like for real after? Yeah. All right. Um, it's, it's ending right off the record now.